Hello, everybody. Welcome. Happy Sunday. So glad that you could join us uh, here today. Um, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you that you love us unconditionally. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that your love there's, is as deep as an ocean and that your love covers all. So, Father, we lift up your name today. We lift up the name of Jesus on high. So let's join and we'll worship God together. Over to you, Josh, Alex, and Nikki.
together, we lift you up as a church with one voice. We lift you up, Jesus. This is for you. We lift you
prodigal son. I just feel that the father's calling, calling us back to his heart. So if you've been just feeling far away from him, just take this moment to come back and give him that first place. Make him that center again. We want more, we want more. 
us up, fill us up, fill us up. We want more. Fill us up, fill us up, fill us up, God. Fill us up, fill us up. Fill us up. your goodness. I'm just reminded of the 23rd Psalm where God says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So he provides for all our needs and he brings peace to, to any anxiety, any fear, any depression. He restores my soul me and pass the righteousness for his name's sake. So that's a promise that you can bank on, that you can trust that God is good and that he wants the very best for you. Thank you, Father. Yeah. So if that's you, if you're if you're struggling with any fear, anxiety, depression, just submit that to the Lord trust in his goodness yeah. speak his promises over your life and he will make your path straight because he is good and his love is unconditional yeah thank you father thank you thank you josh alex and nikki that was awesome <laughs> um aren't you so thankful for his presence coming into our spaces, into your home, into this space today. Um, he just welcomes us to join him. And we want to welcome you joining us today as well. Um, especially if you're new. We wish we could meet you in person. <laughs> but that will have to come at a later date. Um, but if you are new, there's a QR code on the screen. Go ahead and put your camera up to that, and it will bring you to a newcomer's form. We'd love to have you fill that out. We'd love the chance to get to know you a bit better uh, before the time when we can meet you face to face. <laughs> um, also at this time, we want to gather the offerings. The Lord has been so faithful to us, um, giving us everything that we need. In fact, so 23 that Sean mentioned today is all about his provision, his coming through for us, his faithfulness to us. And we want to give back because of all that he's given to us. And so one of the ways that we can do that is through offering. So there's a link on the screen. Um, you can go to our website. There's also a QR code. You can give any of those ways. 
um, and just give out of what the Lord has given you. He's been so faithful to us. So how can we but give back to him? So Lifehouse Daycare on Wednesday, May 5th at 6.30 p.m., we're going to host a meeting. Uh, it's about 45 minutes on Zoom. And the purpose of this meeting is to share the vision for this project and to gather any interest in the community. Um, so if you're interested, uh, send an email to the church and um, Shamla will be glad to add you to the list. Walk for Hope. Um, okay, we have a little video um, that's queued up for you guys. So have a look, have a watch at this video, and we'll be right back. 5K! 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 That's our goal in fundraising for the Salvation Army's Walk for Hope. Walk for Hope is a fundraiser that is helping the community raise money for the food bank of the church, Salvation Army Church in Mississauga. Yeah, and it's happening throughout the month of May, and there's a couple of ways that you guys can get involved. Number one, you can make a donation. Number two, you can join our LifeHouse team. Or number three, you can promote this event on social media with the hashtag WalkForHope. Click the link in the description and join our team and help us to reach our goal. Okay, welcome back. Um, we, are, we have about 2,000 and we're about halfway there through this project. Um, so we ask that you prayerfully consider if, if this is something that you want to contribute to, if you want to donate to uh, folks in our community. Um, yeah, we ask that you have a prayer about it. And um, so let's welcome James up, who's going to give the talk for today. So let's, let's pray for James. <laughs> So, Father, we, we thank you so much for James. We thank you for the incredible uh, husband, father, leader that he is. Thank you for, yeah, his, the heart that he carries, the heart for you. We're so thankful that he is your son yeah, and that your love for him is unconditional. Yeah, thank you for the heart that he carries and the blessing that he is to, to all of us and our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. That's so funny. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sean. Um, I, I am, yeah, today's going to be a little bit different. So I got a couple of quick announcements before uh, we have the message this morning. One, you are also saw in the email that went out this week, if you read the email, is that we're interested in, in looking at starting up a daycare. And so we just want to gather people that would be interested in helping start that, people that would be are trained or, or wanting to get trained that we could start up. We, we heard the government announce this week that they're looking at putting in universal daycare. So we would love to have a Christian-based daycare going for people that need it. So if you would be interested in being part of running something like this or being part of staffing something like this or just want more information, we're going to be having a meeting about it, I believe, on Wednesday, March 5th. All the details are in the... E Oh, sorry, Wednesday, May 5th. All the details are in the email, um, and we'll continue releasing details in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so this morning, I am going to be handing the preaching over to a video. <laughs> and the reason I'm doing that is, as I was preparing this week, I just came across this video. And frankly, it so is in line with what I want to be teaching on over the next few weeks. And I frankly can't teach it better than Tim McKay can, or Tim Mackey. Now, Tim Mackey is the person who founded the Bible Project. If you've ever watched any of their videos, they just absolutely incredible. He's a gifted, gifted teacher. And it just is able to explain things in such a simple manner. And so he's going to be giving a message on the gospel this morning. But if you go, oh, I've already heard that message, I want you to really pay attention to this video. It gives an overarching view of the Bible, uh, what it teaches, what it doesn't teach about the gospel, what Jesus is doing for each and every one of us, gets into things like hell as well. So some interesting topics. And so what I want you to do 
you know, is to watch this video. And if you have questions, I want you to email. If you've got my email, email me or email us at info at lifehouse.ca if you have questions. And then over the next couple of weeks, I'll bring those questions into the preaching. I'd really been hoping that we'd be meeting together outside and I'd be able to do questions and answers, but that's just not what's, what's going on right now. So uh, this is the easiest way that I'll be able to answer questions and address them. So if you send those in, then I will speak into those over the next couple of weeks. One other quick thing that is just uh, something we're changing today. As, as, we've, as be, has been announced, we are not able to meet in person outside until at least the 22nd of May. Um, so we're hoping and trusting and praying that we'll be able to be meeting again on the 22nd of May outside. But by then, the weather will have changed. It's getting warmer again. So we're going to go back to our 10 o'clock time. As of next week, we'll go back to 10 o'clock when we're having our online meetings. And that'll continue through the summer as we're meeting outside. Thank you for your grace with the, the changes that we've been having to make as we've been doing our best to adapt to, okay, well, what's it going to be if we're going to be meeting outside? It'll be too cold at 10 o'clock, so we'll meet at 11 where it'll be warmer. But now that we can't meet outside during the cooler weather, we'll prepare for the nice weather, and we'll go back to our 10 o'clock time for live streaming and eventually meeting in person. So enjoy the video today. It's going to be amazing. Just one other thing for parents that are watching with, you know, uh, younger children, you know, that there is a reference in his talk. It's a very brief reference, and it's not graphic at all, but he does make reference to child trafficking. So if that's not a topic that you want brought up, um, then I just want to warn you, it's probably in the 15 to 20 minute mark of the video. So I would just encourage you as if, if you decide that you don't want to keep watching you know, with them, maybe send them uh, out of the room. Uh, or watch the video at a different time. But this is such a key video for us as a church. It's such a key teaching for us as a church because it's going to make it so much easier for you to be sharing the gospel and addressing questions that friends and family may have. Okay? Let's enjoy the video, and I'll come back again at the end of it. So what I want to uh, just zero in on is, is one particular uh, misunderstanding or one particular distortion about Jesus uh, that, that I have found to be extremely common. I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, my neighbors, right, who are on, on my street in Portland and, and the people who work at Porkinell. And, and I just talk to them about, find out what they think about Jesus. And, um, and the number one thing is the thing that I want to focus in on uh, for our, our time here today. Because I, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can offer people is, is clarifying who Jesus actually is by asking questions, inviting that conversation, and then offering our story and our uh, conviction about who, who Jesus is. Here's, if you start fishing around for people's view of Jesus and what they think you believe, um, odds are you're gonna, you're gonna come up with a story like this. And it's a story that's worth really clarifying what if this is actually somebody really thinks. And the story is gonna go something like this. They may not believe that, but they think that this is what you believe or something like that. So here we all are here on planet Earth. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful and also tragic place. And uh, here, here's uh, me and, and you and so on. And so here we are, uh, we're living our lives and, uh, you know, sometimes great, sometimes really sad. And um, your friends think that you believe that, uh, you know, you're trying to do pretty good, sometimes you fail, uh, sometimes you do really poorly. You're kind of hoping to get more on this side of the line than that side of the line, but we're all kind of a mixed bag. But at the end of the game, uh, God's going to, you know, close the curtains on history. And based off of uh, how good you've been or how bad you've been, or on whether or not you happen to hold correct ideas and beliefs about who Jesus is, uh, your destiny is one of two places. So one of those places will um, be heaven. And the other uh, place, the bad place, will be, will be hell. And uh, heaven, if you kind of fish this out of people in, in the popular cultural imagination, is, you know, these are both like maybe disembodied, non-physical places. This has to do with clouds and harps and singing in the presence of God. And this has to do with like some subterranean torture chamber or something like that, right? Where, where God is sadistically hurting people. You, I mean, you guys, you guys with me? This is what people think that followers of Jesus believe. 
the vast majority of people in the West think that this is what you believe. And some of you in the room might be thinking, yeah, that kind of is what, what I believe. <laughs> and so, um, I'm, I just, uh, I love you and I care about you. <laughs> and and this, is, um, this is wrong. This is wrong. The main problem with this story is the Bible. <laughs> and the other main problem with this story is the actual life and teachings of Jesus. This story is shot through with so many half or one quarter truths that it's just not helpful. We need to think, we need to read our Bibles again with a fresh set of eyes. And so uh, here, I invite you to grab a Bible and just turn with me to um, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter one. And the way I want to frame this is just very briefly, uh, you know, over the next 20, 25 minutes, is think through a simple way for how to reframe the story of the gospel in a way that's true to the real Jesus. And in a way that I think once we get it and once we communicate it, it's compelling. It's a compelling story. Gospel according to Mark, page one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now let's just stop right there. What if there was a one page in the Bible where you could go to and say, mm, what is this book about? It's about the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. What's a great candidate? Where should you go in the Bible? I mean, what do you want? The beginning of the good news about Jesus. And so we're thinking, okay, so heaven, earth, heaven, and hell, right? That's verse two, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, nope, that's not verse two. What's verse two? Just like it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. What? Why is the Bible saying what it's supposed to say right now? Are you with me here? So apparently, according to the Bible, the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, links you up to a story that's already, you know, it's like jumping into a rushing, a rushing river, right? We're jumping into a story that's already, you know, midstream and has all this momentum already. And so apparently the good news about Jesus involves something that the prophet Isaiah said, that Israel's story after they were redeemed from slavery in Egypt and then brought into the promised land and they did a really bad job of that one and so then they got kicked out of the land into exile in Babylon and, and the prophet Isaiah says on the other side of their exile in Babylon God's going to return to his people personally he's going to come on this highway in the desert and he's going to send a messenger ahead of him that's the good news about Jesus the son of God is this simple it's not simple in one sense, right? The Bible's not simple, right? Once you get the basic storyline, it's actually not that hard to get. But the Bible just refuses to be domesticated and our attempts to boil it down to half-truths and summaries. And this is one of those places where we have to humble ourselves and say, like, may maybe, maybe we've gotten this wrong and maybe I need to come back and rediscover what the Bible is actually trying to tell me. And it's trying to tell me that Jesus comes as the culmination of Israel's story and as the fulfillment of a promise that the God of Israel said that he would come to visit and rescue his people. Go down to verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. Verse 14. <clears throat> After J John was put in prison, that's um, John who? John the Baptist, right? The guy, <laughs> the crazy guy in the desert who ate beehives and insects and so on, that guy. John the Baptist was put in prison. So Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Here, okay, here we go. If I ever wanted to hear what the gospel is from the mouth of Jesus, this is a great candidate right here. Verse 15, and what is it? The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now just stop and look at verse 15. So what is the good news? Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. So apparently the good news is something that he just said. 
And what is it? Verse 15, what's the good news? The time has come. The time has come, and something's here. And that something coming here is the good news. And what is that something that has come here? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So apparently, in Jesus' mind, the story of the Bible and who he is and what he's here to do and the gospel is about, not about us going somewhere, it's about God coming here. You with me here? It's about something that God is doing here that according to Jesus is the good news. There's multiple things that are wrong with this story. First of all, this is a me-centered story. It's about me and what I'm doing, good or bad, and then God just is a, you know, the one who assigns me a role right here at the end of the story. That's not the gospel. It's certainly not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is about God <laughs> and what God is doing in our world. This is a story that focuses on me and my behavior and whether I'm good or bad enough or do, do or don't know the right information about Jesus or something. That's not the gospel, and that's certainly not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is about not my behavior as the focus. It's about God's activity and God's purposes and what God is doing in our world through Jesus that is good news for our world. You guys with me here? And what is that? And it's that God's kingdom... God's reign and his rule over our world has arrived in the person of Jesus. Which means that Jesus is here to address some kind of problem. And he's going to resolve this problem through what he does in the next you know, pages that you're going to read in the Gospel of Mark. And that is the good news. And it's a different story than this one right here. So the kingdom of God, um, you can read about Jesus talks all the time about the kingdom of God. Uh, if you read the gospel according to Matthew that comes right uh, b before Mark, um, Jesus will call it the kingdom of God or also sometimes what? The kingdom of heaven. He kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus used both terms. And the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is not somewhere that you go after you die. It's something that has arrived in Jesus. Now, I'm going to um, draw something a little more, but first, I just, there's a, a simpler way to do this. Um, a, friend, a friend and I in Portland made uh, a video to try and help kind of explore and uh, unpack this. Do you want to see it? Yeah. Great. So let's watch that. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other 
was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So, so, so what I'm saying is the story of the Bible is the story about how heaven and earth got ripped apart and that that was not God's will. That's something about that happened in the story that went wrong, right? So God, God wants to partner and rule his good world together with these dignified, image-bearing human beings. And as you, know, you saw in the funny scene right there, that, that goes wrong. Not because something was wrong in the way God set up the deal, it's because something went wrong inside of human beings, right? There's this, this urge this urge to not trust God's definition of good and evil and, to, and to, to seize autonomy and independence and to define good and evil as I see fit and define it for, for ourselves. And here's what's crucially important, and this is a very simple way to think about communicating this and why this story is wrong. If you look at the first sentence of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God made heavens and 
What does it not say? It doesn't say, in the beginning, God made heaven and earth and hell. God didn't make, whatever hell is, God didn't make it. It's nowhere to be found on page one of your Bible, right? What God made is heaven and earth, and what does God think about it? It's very good. It's very good. So whatever hell is, it comes into the story later. And if you're familiar with the story, how it works, hell, or evil, or sin, the various names that it's called in the Bible, is something that humans have created by our decision to seize autonomy from God. Now, how do I know that hell is an appropriate word to talk about this? Jesus' brother, Jesus' brother wrote a letter that's in, a, in your Bible, right? It's called the letter of James. It's very interesting. And Jesus' brother, who he hung out with Jesus a lot, I'm, I'm bound to trust the man when he says he's representing the teachings of Jesus. James talks about, the in chapter 3, he talks about the power of the, the tongue and how the human tongue has the power to, to bless and praise God, the creator, but at the same time, the human tongue has the ability to gossip about people and to tear down their character and to speak ill and poorly of them. And James says this, it's flabbergasting. He says, when humans do that with their tongues, he says their tongues are lit on fire by hell. Are you with me? Now, what are the implications of that? The implications that hell isn't just something about like the end of the game. Hell is a reality that is present now. It's a reality that humans unleash on each other and on God's good world to ruin and destroy relationships and to destroy people. Hell is something that we have created on earth. And God hates hell. And he, the story of the Bible is a story about God wanting to heal his world and get the hell out of earth. Are you with me? That's the story of the Bible. It's God hates hell because what it, hell is about the unleashing of selfishness and evil and the breakdown and the degrading of dignified, image-bearing human beings. That's what hell is. And just, it, it, the book of Genesis tells the story of Genesis chapters 3 through 11, known as the story of the, the fall. But that's what's happening. It's humans unleashing hell on earth. And God hates it because he loves his good world. And he loves human beings who are made in his image. That's what the story of the Bible is. And Jesus comes onto the scene announcing good news. The time has come. And heaven is here to invade earth and to confront evil. And just start reading through the Gospel of Mark. And what will you see Jesus doing? You will see him confronting hell and its disastrous effects on human beings. And it takes the form of him casting evil, personal spiritual evil, uh, out of people. It, ha it has to do with Jesus confronting the breakdown of human relationships. Go, go to the Gospel of Matthew and listen to how Jesus talks about hell. And here's, here's the context in which Jesus mentions hell. Jesus hates hell. And he hates what hell does to human beings. And he hates where it leads human beings on a path. So Jesus, he, so here's something we can all agree on. And Jesus would agree with us. We can all agree that the sexual abuse of children for money is wrong. And that it's, it's a plague, it's a hellfire plague on our world. We give it a more comfortable name called sex trafficking to like not think about what the reality is. We hate it. We want it gone from our world. God also hates sex trafficking. Jesus hates sex trafficking. But he actually, he actually takes it more seriously than we do. Because see, we want to get rid of sex trafficking. Jesus wants to get rid of lust from, from his world. Right? He talks about the root the root desire to use another human being for my personal gratification. Jesus is more serious than we are about evil in our world. See, we look out at our world and we, we see the ravage of racism and, and genocide that has resulted in recent history. We want that gone from our world. Jesus also wants that out of his world, but he's even more serious about it than we are. 
right? Because he doesn't want to just get rid of racism, right, and genocide. He wants to get rid of pride and contempt and rage from the human heart. Are you with me? See, what are genocide and sex trafficking? They're raging hellfires destroying our world, but they're ignited by these small sparks of these deep-rooted distortions in the human heart and mind. Jesus wants to get the hell out of his world, and he wants to get the hell out of you. And that's good news. It's good news, is it? It's good news, but it's a double-edged sword, right? Because it's sort of like, okay, I want God to get evil out of this world, but I want him to do it without having to get rid of me, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the, this is the hard truth of Jesus. It's like, we've met the enemy, and he is. That's not the greatest news to hear, but yet at the same time, it is. It depends on who says it to you, right? If somebody who's on, intent on mowing you down with an M16 thinks you're the enemy, that's bad news. But if, if a surgeon, right, if a surgeon comes with a knife and he needs to cut you open to take out some life-threatening thing that's, that's poisoning your body, is that good news? Is it going to be painful? It's the story of the Bible. <laughs> it's the story of the Bible. Jesus is more serious about this than we are. And so how does, how does Jesus, the great physician, come to heal us and to get the hell out of us? He does it. It's, this, it's what Mark tells us. Just go finish reading the Gospel of Mark. Jesus lives this hell-free existence. He shows us what a human life is as God becomes human to actually be the kind of human that we are all made and called to be but perpetually fail to be. It's this hell-free life that only gives and that only loves and that's only others-centered. And it's, act it's so offensive and so scandalous and so repulsive to those around Jesus and what he calls out of people and how he calls people out for their religious hypocrisy and their pride and their rage and their anger. It's, it's the paradox of the gospel is that God so loves and is committed to his broken world ruined by the hell that we've made here. He actually allows the hell that we've created to overwhelm him and to destroy him, right? He, allow, he allows the hell that we've created to exhaust its power on him. And we call this the, this the moment of the cross. And the moment of the cross is the healing, it's the paradoxical death and resurrection of Jesus and the death and resurrection of our, of our world. Are you with me? In Jesus... The whole train wreck of human history and its consequences of evil and of sin exhaust its power in Jesus' death. But because this God is so in love with his world and with these, these compromised, fractured, image-bearing human beings, he will not let hell get the last word. And the resurrection of Jesus is this moment of new life it's a moment that speaks of God's love and eternal commitment to our good world. And the resurrection of Jesus is, represents this offer and this opportunity of life, of a hell-free existence in the present and on into the future. You guys with me here? Repent and believe the good news. God wants to get the hell out of you. And that's the best news, right? That's the best news you could imagine. And it's also hard news to hear. And so how does the story of the Bible end? You know, I had, I had that image there in the video of, of heaven and earth coming together, but what I didn't address was this. What's, where does this have to go? It's got to get out of here somehow. And so go look at the last page of the Bible. Where, where and what is hell on the last page of the Bible? Hell is God's monument, as C.S. Lewis says, to human dignity and choice. If someone refuses to be healed by the great physician, God will honor that decision. But what God will not do is allow hell to continue ruining his good world. And so the image that the last page of the Bible uses is of the great new garden city of heaven and earth married together again. And hell is outside the city. It's outside the city. God, it, it's God's mercy to contain human evil and to not to let it eternally ravage his good world and his good image-bearing humans. And for those who refuse to participate in God's recreation of heaven and earth, he honors that decision 
they remain outside the city. Now that, there's all kinds of details that we want to know that the Bible does not give us about this. What it does is it tells us good news about the person of Jesus. It tells us that, that Jesus is so committed to getting the hell out of his world and out of you that he lived for you, that he died for you, and that he was raised for you. Turn to him and believe the good news. How you guys doing? This is, a, this is the story the Bible is telling. And it's at the same time a challenging story that will still be challenging and offensive and difficult to talk about. But I'm telling you, it's a, it's a compelling story. Because your friend who doesn't believe in Jesus also wants this. Are you with me? You, your neighbor wants the same thing that God wants. Are you with me? Right? Now that's going to involve a whole lot of conversation. But I thought, this is a compelling story. If we can, if we can help ourselves understand it. And, and you, you will not be compelled to share this story personally unless you actually experiencing the loving, healing power of Jesus begin to remove the hell from you and to give you new, new life. Incredible message on the kingdom of God, on what the Bible actually teaches from beginning to end. And you know, again, as I said at the beginning, showed that video because I cannot explain it better than he can. But it may stir questions for you, and I want to address some of those questions over the next couple of weeks as we speak more about the kingdom of God, as we speak more about the implications of this in our, in our lives. And we've talked a lot about the kingdom of God, actually, and what, the reason I want to keep talking about it as we go into the summer season where we're able to connect again with friends and family, we want to be able to communicate the gospel in a way that makes sense to them, in a way that they understand. We want to be able to answer questions that are at times difficult questions and have, you know, there's so many ideas out there about what the Bible teaches. There's often in many church environments, we get taught the wrong things. So I want to make sure that we've got the right understanding of how to read Scripture, of what it is that Jesus has done, and, and what it is that he's doing in our world right now. So if you have questions, email them in, info at lifehouse.ca, or you can email me directly if you've got my email, and uh, we'll incorporate those questions in in the next couple of weeks. Okay, we'll see you at 10 o'clock next Sunday. Have an amazing week.